And we're going to look tonight, final message on this. And let's go back just to the, for a second at the title, Final Jihad Commences, World War III. And uh, let's just go ahead and pray over this, and we're going to get right into it. Lord, thank you for your word. And we pray that you will open our eyes and help us to be a people of understanding, not a people in the dark, but a people of wisdom, who understand what the scriptures have said. And Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes and feeding us tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And the reason I'm going over this is two reasons. The first one, this is right at the door, this, this war. I'm about to show you why this war is not Armageddon. This is a war preceding Armageddon. All the nations have lined up for us, we're about to see. So I want to show the accuracy of the Word of God. You know, the Bible you hold in your hand is the Word of God. If there's not another, not, not another look, uh, book like it, not another one. It's the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So, the historical accounts in it are true. Noah's flood, universal flood, is true. Jonah being swallowed by a great fish is true. It's not just a story. It's a historical fact. It's true. And one of the great ways that we can know that the Bible is the Word of God is by the uncanny accuracy of Bible prophecy. It's unbelievable. So what we're going to look at tonight, this imminent war, I mean, it's just around the corner, isn't something that might happen, perhaps will happen, 90% chance it'll happen. It is going to happen. When you study Bible prophecy, most Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled. And when you look at what has been fulfilled, I was reading this morning in my devotional, Micah 5.2, But thou, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall he, capital H, come forth, who shall be ruler of Israel, whose goings have been of old, even from everlasting. So Micah predicted that an eternal personality was going to invade history via Bethlehem. Look at the accuracy. When you study Bible prophecy that has been fulfilled, you have to just put the book down and go down, bow down before God and say, you're the God who knows the end from the beginning. So tonight, what we're going to look at is certainly going to happen. Now let's look. We saw last time that Ezekiel 38 predicts an end-time invasion of Israel by a vast confederacy of nations. These nations will seek to wipe Israel off the map, exterminate her. It will, however, glory to God, be the final jihad for Israel's enemies. Ezekiel 38, 1 to 7 gives eight names, and we saw these last week. Eight names. They're going to be participants in the invasion of Israel that will follow the regathering of the Jews to their homeland. Now, let's look at these eight. First is Gog, and Gog is obviously the leader of the people of Magog. It may be the government or it may be an actual person, but it's the leader of the land of Magog. So Gog is the leader. Magog, we saw last time, is for certain the land of Russia. 
interesting. Read the paper any day, and you will read that Russia is siding with Iran, helping them gain nuclear weaponry. They know what Iran wants to do with that nuclear weaponry. They want to vaporize Israel. Today, I saw a picture in the paper, a news event saying Russia will not stand behind sanctions on Iran. They don't want them because they're siding with them, just like the Bible said they would. So Magog is Russia. Then there's Meshach and Tubal, or Tubal, the modern country of Turkey, parts of southern Russia and northern Iran, is what makes up the ancient landmass of Meshach and Tubal. And all of those are areas with a Muslim majority right now. This jihad will be Islamic. This attack against Israel will be Islamic. Islamic-driven, Islamic-dominated, and the Bible said so. Now, Persia, the ancient landmass of Persia, there you see it right there in the uh, yellow, kind of mustard yellow, it was Iran. And so when Ezekiel says Persia, he's talking about the landmass that is now Iran and Iraq. Well, how uncanny that now Iran is salivating to attack the very land that Ezekiel said they would attack 2,500 years ago. Then there's Cush, and that's the Sudan. We know about that one. And then there's Put, which is Libya, Muammar Gaddafi, virulently anti-Semitic and Islamic. And then there's Gomer, Turkey. There's Turkey again. And then Beth Togarma, again, modern Turkey. The possibility that four of the names mentioned in Ezekiel are now in Turkey makes a very strong argument for Turkey being a part of the invasion of Israel. And mark it down, church. If God said it, it will happen. It will take place. Other nations that might join uh, the alliance are Iraq, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt. All of them are Islamic nations, and all of them would not hesitate to support the destruction of Israel or the opportunity to join such a vast coalition be presented to them. I mean, Israel is surrounded right now by people that hate them, by millions and millions of people and nations that hate them, can't stand them, detest them. And they don't want just part of that land. They want to destroy the Jew from the land. Now, why is this not Armageddon that we looked at when we went through the book of Revelation? Let me, let me just, it's very important we understand this because we're not looking at the war of Armageddon here. The war described in Ezekiel 38 is not the same. Let's see why. Uh, it's not the same. Ezekiel 38 is not the same as the war of Armageddon that will come at the end of the tribulation when Jesus returns to defeat the Antichrist and establish his millennial kingdom. Now, what are the differences? How do we know that it's not Armageddon? First, the war of Armageddon is a world war. Revelation tells us that this battle will involve all nations, and they're all arming to the teeth as we speak. All right, Zechariah, here's some examples. Zechariah 14, 2 to 4 says, I will gather all nations. Zechariah again, 12. All the people of the earth will be involved in this war. Then look at Revelation 16, verse 14. And of the whole world. And if you look at that verse, it's talking about the war of Armageddon. So there you go. All nations, all the people of the earth, the whole world will be involved in the war of Armageddon. 
So that's one reason. As we've seen in Ezekiel 38, it's not the whole world involved in the Ezekiel 38 war, but a specific alliance of nations that invade Israel that we just named. Also, Armageddon is at the climax of the tribulation, the end of the seven years, while the war described in Ezekiel comes well before then. What motivates the battle of Armageddon is spiritual supremacy over the whole earth. Revelation 19, 19 says, And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse, that's Jesus, and against his army, that's the angels and the saints of God returning with him in the second advent or second coming. Now, what motivates the Magog conflict is not world supremacy, but it's greed. It says in Ezekiel 38, as they, a thought comes into their mind, a thought comes into Gog's mind and the allied nations. And what is it? To take a spoil, cattle and goods, silver and gold. It's greed-driven, not world domination-driven. Also, the Gog-Magog war is fought in the mountains of Israel. Armageddon is fought in a valley, the valley of, of Megiddo. So very different geographical location for these fights. Now let's look at this final jihad. This is not Armageddon. This precedes Armageddon, so it's closer than Armageddon. And if you follow the Word of God, and I hope you do, and just read the news. I mean, I, I, I read the Bible in the morning, and then I check up on the news through my little conservative sites. I don't listen to national news anymore. Can't trust them. They haven't earned it, and they don't deserve my viewership. Now, but when I read the news, it's like what I just read in the paper and in the Bible. Same thing. I mean, events are galloping. Prophetic events are galloping across the world in front of our very eyes. Now, let's look at this final jihad. The Russian coalition... Ezekiel describes it as a vast and an awesome horde will attack the land of Israel. This will happen at a time when Israel is in a relatively peaceful state. Notice again that this attack occurs, and this is very important, after the return of her people from many lands, which happened in 1948. A clear indication this attack will be directed towards the modern state of Israel. Ezekiel is describing a war that is brought to bear upon the restored nation of Israel, whose people have been, Ezekiel says, regathered in just such a way, and is not a reference to a past war because there hadn't been a past war like this, or a war in the distant future. It's not far away. It's imminent. Ezekiel 38, 10 through 13, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Boy, that just gives me Holy Ghost bumps when I read that. This is what the Sovereign Lord says at that time. Evil thoughts are going to come into your mind. He's saying to Gog, Magog, and these other nations. And you will devise a wicked scheme. You will say, well, Israel is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. I will march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence I will go to those once desolate cities that are again filled with people who returned 
from exile in many nations. God even knows what you're going to think before you think it. He said, I know what's going to come into your mind before it does. I will capture. Now, this is, this is God by the Holy Ghost speaking through Ezekiel of what they're going to think. Here's what they're going to think. I will capture vast amounts of plunder and take many slaves. For the people are rich with cattle now. and They think the whole world revolves around them. That's the New Living Translation. But Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish will ask, Who are you to rob them of silver and gold? Who are you to drive away their cattle and seize their goods and make them poor? In other words, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Prior to this attack, Israel will be an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. Now listen carefully, because this has made a lot of people wonder, well, well, how can that come to pass, Israel, with unwalled villages? In the days of Ezekiel, it was unheard of to build a city without walls, a certain invitation for uh, an invasion by a foreign power. But in this modern era of warfare, nuclear warfare, missiles, walls don't do anything. Walls don't do anything to repel an invading force. So just as Ezekiel said, Israel will be a land of unwalled villages because of the time they're living in, the days of modernity, okay? Once again, this attack is referenced as taking place against those once desolate cities that are again filled with people who return from exile in many nations. Yet another indication that modern-day Israel is the target of Gog's invasion. However, we learn that several nations will question the impending invasion. Did you notice that? Their name Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish. I think we're in there. Hallelujah. Sheba and Dedan represent the modern nations of Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, Kuwait, and the United Arab Emirates. And we know that we can imagine them saying, what are you doing, and siding with Western democracies because that's what they've always done. They want our money. They want us to buy their oil. Tarshish can only be translated as southern Spain, but may also represent the Western democracies. I think Ezekiel may have been pointing to the Western democracies, us included, and we will be among those who say, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? But it's not really a hugely strong protest. It's sort of like, wow, that's not nice. Well, Ezekiel 38, 14 and 16, Therefore, son of man, I want you to prophesy against God, the leader of Russia. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, then you are going to rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north, that's Russia, with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will cover the land like a cloud. This is going to happen, Ezekiel says, in the distant future. Well, when Ezekiel said it, he was 2,500 years ago. So in the distant future is when this is going to happen in the latter days, Ezekiel said. I will bring you against my land as everybody watches. Now, think with me again. This is one of the things that amazed me about Revelations and the Apostle John. 
How did Ezekiel know that the whole world could watch something 2,500 years ago? Do you see it? He said, as everyone watches, you're going to come against my land. Well, in his day, that was completely impossible. But now, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, all of them can easily be trained onto this event. And they will be. You may wake up one morning, flip on the TV, and see that Israel has come under a horrific assault. It'll be on TV. Again, God reiterates that Russia will invade Israel in the last days, covering the land like a cloud with its armies. The entire world will watch on the edge of their seats, none lifting a hand to help Israel. I can easily see any of this now, all of this. It is at this moment that God will make himself known to the nations of the world. He will utterly destroy this invading force while all the world watches. And everybody's going to know that it is the Lord. Because, you know, if I had a picture of little old Israel up here on, on the screen, on a world map, and I showed you all these nations focusing on this little dot on the world map, surrounding them, coming against them like a cloud, you would say it's over. Israel's gone. They're going to be vaporized. It, it's curtains for them. But God is not going to let that happen because that's his land. Uh, church, it's going to happen. And, and God's not going to let them be destroyed. Right when it looks like they're going to be destroyed, God says, that's it. He kind of does a Popeye. I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. <laughs> all right God says you're, you're touching the two apples of my eye the Jewish people and my land the covenant land the land that God promised to the Jew in Genesis 12 1 when he made the the Abrahamic covenant and man when are we going to learn you can't touch that land you can't make them divide that land you can't steal that land and not incur the wrath of God you can't do it so, let's go on, Ezekiel 38, 17 or 23. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, says Ezekiel. You are the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in future days I would bring you against my people. Gog, you've been in prophecy all this time and you didn't know it. But when Gog invades the land of Israel, says the Sovereign Lord, my fury will rise. For in my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. It's going to look like a slam dunk for the Islamic terrorists and the jihad. But it's not. All living things, look what he says, all living things, says God, all the fish, birds, animals, and people are going to quake in terror at my presence. Mountains are going to be thrown down. Cliffs are going to crumble. Walls are going to fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you, Gog, Magog, and all of your allies throughout Israel, says the Sovereign Lord. Now notice Ezekiel always calls God the Sovereign Lord. That means He's in charge. That means history is His story. That means it's not going to all wrap up by a man or by the devil 
or demons or even angels. But God is going to wrap up this world and bring in a new one. He's the sovereign God. The sovereign God. That means He's got the whole world in His hands. That means He's ordering your steps when you don't even know it. That means that He knows the day you're going to be born and the day you're going to die. That means He never says, oops, and He never says, well, I'll be. The sovereign Lord. He's sovereign. Now, He says further, your men, look what He says to God, your men are going to turn against each other. I love it when God makes your enemy fight against themselves. And if you praise the Lord, He'll confound the devils that are attacking you. And don't you love it when God makes your enemies fight against each other and they leave you alone? Now look, he says, your men, Gog, are going to turn against each other in mortal combat, combat to the death. I will punish you and your hordes with disease on the battlefield and bloodshed, says the sovereign God. I will send torrential rain hailstones, fire, and burning sulfur. There's no question in my mind this is nuclear. This is nuclear. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel describes nuclear in a way that will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. He says, Thus will I show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the whole world. And what are they going to know? They're going to know that I'm the Lord. The invasion of Israel, according to God, is going to trigger an earthquake so strong that every living creature on the face of the earth is going to tremble in the presence of God. Every creature. In America, we're going to tremble. In England, they're going to tremble. In China, they're going to tremble. In India, they're going to tremble. In the far reaches of the globe, they're going to tremble at what God releases on the earth. The invading armies are going to be completely annihilated. Look at this. Like a cloud, an innumerable company with blood in their eyes, with the thoughts in their brain that God saw was coming, let's go get a spoil, let's wipe them off the face of the map. They are going to be totally annihilated. God will cause them to turn on each other while striking them with plagues, torrential rain, hail, fire, and burning sulfur. As a result of this awesome display, the world's going to wake up to God's existence. Even atheists are going to go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No longer will people be able to deny the existence of the sovereign, almighty God. If Richard Dawkins is around, some of these other famous book-writing, atheist, book-publishing authors, they're going to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No longer will be, uh, people be able to deny the existence of the Almighty, for it will be abundantly clear who intervened to save Israel. Wow. Ezekiel 38, or 39, 1-6. Now watch this. Son of man, prophesy against God, the leader of Russia, Give him this message from what Lord? The Sovereign Lord. I am your enemy, O Gog, ruler of the nations of Meshach and Tubal. Now, notice this. God says to Gog, and why would God be against Gog? 
because Russia has always been atheistic, blasphemed, persecuted Christians, persecuted Jews, oppressed the people. If any nation could have incurred the wrath of God, it would, one of them would be Russia. And notice what God says to Gog, who has as an ally, they think, Meshach and Tubal. God says, you think they're your ally, but I'm the ruler of them. You think they're with you, but they're ultimately answering to me. I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. I want you to know that God's the winner, not the loser. And you've got the victory, and this is why you're more than a conqueror through Him that loved you. Because even the nations that they say are allied with them, God's going to let them know, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, they're going to do my bidding. I will turn you and drive you towards the mountains of Israel, bringing you from the distant north. I'm going to knock your weapons out of your hands and leave you helpless. You and all your vast hordes are going to die on the mountains. Mm. I'm going to give you, now this is really, you know, I'm just reading the Bible, but here's a graphic image for you. I'm going to give you as food to the vultures and wild animals. You're going to fall in the open fields, for I have spoken, says what, Lord? The sovereign Lord. See, I'm the sovereign Lord of history, and here's what's going to happen. And I will rain down fire, here comes nuclear, on Magog and on all your allies who live safely, they think, on the coast. Then they will know that I'm the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been doing a sweep of the minor prophets. I love the prophets. Now let me tell you what I see over and over again. These nations that think they're safe, that think nothing can happen to them, false sense of security, they think that nothing can come against them, nothing can overcome them, nothing can succeed against them. But over and over again, you see in the minor prophets, when God says, that's it, I'm going to have to judge you for your sin, nothing can hide them or protect them. Nothing. That's why you need to fear the Lord all the days of your life and never think you can get away with sin. Because if you sin and keep on sinning and you don't repent and it goes on and on and on, God knows where to find you. And He's got a woodshed out back. And it's about 6,000 years old. I mean, a lot of people back there. There's blood on the walls. And God will whoop you sore. Now, see what's happening to these nations. Not only will the hordes of God be struck down by the God of Israel, but their dead bodies are going to become food for vultures and wild animals. And that is sure not what they thought was going to happen when they left to attack Israel. Ezekiel 39, 7 to 8, Thus I will make, my, make known my holy name among my people of Israel. I will not let it be desecrated anymore. You're not going to desecrate my name anymore. And the nations, too, will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. That day of judgment will come, says the Sovereign Lord. Everything will happen. Listen to what God says. Everything will happen exactly as I have declared it. Well, that's powerful. I was reading this morning in um, Micah, and Micah predicted the fall of Assyria. And when he predicted the fall of Assyria, nothing could have looked further from the truth. But a hundred years later, 
down it came. Just like he said. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And we need to have confidence in the Word of God. Every man, amen? Because look, everything will happen just as I have declared it, says God. God has made it definitively clear that this judgment against Gog, Russia, will happen just as he has said. He will no longer tolerate the desecration of his nation. And at a time unknown to us, this event will occur exactly as he has promised. It's a guarantee. Mm. Ezekiel 39, 9-10, look at this. Then the people in the towns of Israel will go out and they're going to pick up your small and large shield. They're going to go weapon hunting. They're going to go get the goods after you have fallen and died thinking you could attack Israel and get away with it. They're going to get your javelins, your spears, and they will use them for what, everybody? Fuel. There will be enough to last for how long? Seven years burning. That's a long time. They will need nothing else for their fires, says God. They won't need to cut wood from the fields or the forest, for these weapons will give them all they need. That's a lot of weaponry. They will take plunder from those who plan to plunder them. Oh, I love that. Those who think they're going to come rob you, God's going to let you rob them. They think they're coming to plunder you, and God's going to plunder them. Says, what Lord? The sovereign Lord. Boy, Ezekiel just can't get away from him. He's sovereign. Hallelujah. God is sovereign. There seems to be a hint to the use of nuclear weapons at this point. Now, let me tell you why. Because after God intervenes, the leftover weapons provide all the energy needed in Israel for seven years. The weapons. Now, ancient commentators, if you read them, said it must be symbolic that burning the weapons for seven years. They said that must be symbolic because nothing could burn for seven years. It would burn up. You know, you get a cord of firewood. It's burned up in a couple of months. But this goes on for seven years. But we smile when we read the old commentators because they didn't know about nuclear energy. They can easily burn for seven years. Also, Ezekiel even describes how they hire professionals to clear the battlefield. They wait for seven months before they even enter. And then they clear it for seven months. Now watch this. They bury what they find. East of the Dead Sea, which is downwind. Why'd you bury what you find? How's it going to burn for seven years? There's a nuclear exchange. Nuclear weaponry is involved. Man has never built a weapon he didn't use. Nuclear weapons are going to be used. The Bible predicts in Revelations that there will be a nuclear exchange that will take a third of Earth's population. Now, if memory serves, in World War I, uh, about 8 million people died. World War II, about 44, 45 million. We said that's the worst war uh, in the history of mankind. But John the Revelator predicted a war that if it happened today, over a billion people, over a billion people, a third of the earth's population, over a billion people, 45 million squared would die. I wish that this weren't true. I wish that we were in some evolutionary process just getting better and nicer 
and kinder, but we're not. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart of man untouched by grace will do anything. The heart of man has been the history of war, murder, bloodshed. That's the way we are unless grace gets hold of us. And this is what's going to happen. Dr. Chuck uh, Missler, author of Learn the Bible in 24 Hours, he comments this way. Ezekiel was still not finished. He said that if a traveler finds something that the professionals have missed, he is not to touch it. He is to mark the location and let the professionals deal with it in hazmat suits. These are contemporary Department of Defense procedures. Finding it and dealing with it professionally. Department of Defense procedures for handling nuclear, chemical, or biological warfare materials. Are they not planning on all of this right now? As we speak, there are people planning, practicing, training in hazmat suits. Church, lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. The sovereign Lord has said this is going to happen. Now, I don't rejoice that all those people are going to die. It's tragic, but it's what God has to do when a world population will not repent. And boy, could I go off on that for a minute, but I'm not going to. The grim outcome for the invaders of Israel continues. 11 to 16, and I will make a vast graveyard for Gog, that is Russia, and his hordes in the valley of the travelers east of the Dead Sea. The path of those who travel there will be blocked by this burial ground. And they will change the name of the place to the Valley of Gog's Hordes. Boy, there's a science fiction movie title for you. The Valley of Gog's Hordes. It'll take seven months for the people of Israel to cleanse the land by burying the bodies. Everybody in Israel will help, for it will be a glorious victory for Israel when I demonstrate my glory on that day, says the Sovereign Lord. At the end of the seven months, special crews will be appointed to search the land for skeletons and they'll bury them so the land will be made clean again. Whenever some bones are found, a marker will be set. There you go. A marker will be set up beside them so the burial crews will see them and take them to be buried in the valley of God's hordes. They won't even touch the bones. There will be a town there named Hamona, which means horde, and so the land will finally be cleansed. That's just down the road, y'all. This is the last days. Israel's been regathered. This is a prophecy focusing on the regathered land of Israel. And do we not see every nation we name are, as we speak, anti-Semitic, pro-Islamic, want to see Israel gone. The destruction of these invading armies will be so vast it will change the topography of the land. So many dead bodies will litter the landscape that it will take seven months to bury all the dead, even with the help of every single citizen in Israel. 17 to 20, verses 17 to 20. And now, son of man, call all the birds and wild animals, says the sovereign Lord. Say to them, gather together for my great sacrificial feast. Wow. There we go. Come from far and near to the mountains of Israel and there eat the flesh and drink the blood. I don't want to be bird food. Do you? Thank God that you're redeemed. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise that you're redeemed? 
Now, here, look what God says to these birds. Eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of princes. As though they were rams, lambs, goats, and fat young bulls of Bashan. Gorge yourselves with flesh until you are glutted. Drink blood until you are drunk. That's what God feels about those who seek to destroy his people and his land. This is the sacrificial, uh, sacrificial feast I've prepared for you. Feast at my banquet table, feast on horses, riders, and valiant warriors, says the Sovereign Lord. God will call the birds and wild animals of the earth to feast upon the dead bodies of Israel's enemies. His purpose is nothing less than to make himself known to and display his glory among the nations of the world. Now, verses 21 to 24, as we come to a close, how many of you are glad you're saved? How many of you are, are, amen. Now, how many of you can see the power of God's Word, the accuracy of God's Word? Thus, I will demonstrate my glory, says God, among the nations. Everybody's going to see the punishment I've inflicted on them. Everybody's going to see it. There he goes again. How's everybody going to see it, Ezekiel? I don't know. I'm just showing you, telling you what the Spirit tells me to write. Everybody's going to see it. On the, the, the punishment I inflicted on them and the power I have demonstrated, everybody is going to see it. And from that time on, the people of Israel will know that I'm the Lord their God. Now, here's one of the things I want to point out about this prophecy. This event is going to cause a revival among the Jewish people. Now, I don't know if you've ever witnessed to a Jewish person, but there is a veil over their eyes, and I love them. But there is a veil over their eyes. They, you can describe Jesus every which way but loose, but it doesn't matter. They, there's something. Now, sometimes they'll get saved, but for the most part, there is a veil. Paul said so in Romans 9. There is a veil over the, the people of Israel, over the Jewish people, when it comes to the Messiah. But that veil is going to be lifted when they look and they see that when it looked like it was over with for them, God intervened. And they're going to go, maybe He was the Messiah. Maybe He was the Savior. I believe, and revival is going to begin to take place among the Jewish people in the land of Israel. The nations, the nations will then know why Israel was sent away to exile. It was punishment for sin. What was Israel's sin? Why did God, why have they been persecuted through all the centuries? Why have they been rejected, despised, persecuted, lied against? Why have they been treated contemptibly? Doesn't matter where you go in history. Why? Because when Jesus was being delivered up, they said, crucify him. May his blood be on our heads. Folks, there's some things you don't fool with. The things of God. You don't fool with his word. You don't fool with his spirit. And you don't fool with his Messiah. They, Pilate said, no, I don't, I don't want to turn him over. They said, may his blood be on our heads. And then watch this, and our children's heads. 
And they did that. They cursed themselves. Woe! For they acted in treachery against their God. Jesus said, If you'd only known the hour of your visitation, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Therefore, God says, I turn my back on them and I let their enemies destroy them. This is the word of God. I let their enemies destroy them. I turn my face away and punish them in proportion to the vileness of their sins. The nations will acknowledge the God of Israel as the one true God. 25 to 29, we're coming to the close. So now the, what, what Lord? The sovereign Lord says, I will end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on Israel, for I am jealous for my holy reputation. See, Oprah said she walked away from the Lord or from God when she heard a preacher say that God was jealous. She didn't understand what that meant. I wish I could talk to Oprah and explain the jealousy issue. Because he says right here, I am jealous of my holy reputation. And Oprah said, that made me walk away. God jealous? What does that mean? He's jealous for his holy reputation. And he is jealous in this respect. When you're his, he don't want you having other lovers. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and treachery against me after they come home to live in peace and safety in their own land. And then no one will bother to make them uh, or to bother them or make them afraid. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, my holiness will be displayed to the nations. Then my people will know that I'm the Lord, their God, responsible for sending them away to exile and responsible for bringing them home. He's saying, I did it. Go ahead. If you're looking for, to blame somebody, blame me. I put you into exile, and I'm the one that brought you back to my land and made you a nation again in 1948. I will leave none of my people behind, and I will never again turn my back on them. Boy, I love that. For I will pour out my spirit upon them, says the sovereign Lord. So even though the Lord chastens you, he will turn again and have mercy. Thank God he's a merciful God. He'll take you to the woodshed, but he'll have mercy on you. The spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will be poured out on the people of Israel and never again will the Lord turn his back on them. All of this will happen in the last days. Can we stand together? Give the Lord a hand of praise for his word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Can you say with me, he's the sovereign Lord. He's in charge. He is in charge, everybody. Father... We see all of these events lining up. We see these nations biting at the bit to do the very thing that Ezekiel saw by the Holy Spirit 2,500 years ago. And now, Lord, help us to reach the lost, to live for you, to glorify you in our lives, to be sanctified set apart to you living in the spirit and not in the flesh looking for the certain appearance of Jesus Christ 
And Lord, we do pray for the land of Israel that is about to be shaken like never before. Let's turn to the east, can we, everybody? Just this way. Jerusalem is that way. Israel is to the east. Let's pray because this is certainly going to happen. And we are to bless Jerusalem. Lord, we pray for the land of Israel that you will give them grace, that you will strengthen them, that you will make them strong, that, Lord, they will have a revival. Their eyes will be open, and they will see Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Son of God. We pray, Lord God, that you will use these horrific events to wake them up. We pray for Prime Minister Netanyahu and all of his cabinet. We pray, give them rest at night. Uh, Give them peace and give them, Lord, great wisdom in dealing with the enemies aligned against them. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.